that goes into being a leader. Um, and and there, there will be some good things coming down the pike uh, with that. And, and my, myself and Douglas will keep you up to date on that and how that will even involve you, uh, the body, those who, who desire to be involved um, in the worship ministry. And so I'm just very excited, and I really just praise God. We, us three, were in a text group, uh, Dave and Douglas and myself, and we were just praising God for the way he aligned these events and the timing and all of it is just so wonderful, and God is just so good in his provision. Um, and so that's just one thing I wanted you to, to know about and be, be excited about and praise God with us about. Uh, the next thing I want to do is I, I was going to save this for the members meeting. We do have a, mem- a short members meeting after the service today before the lunch. Um, but I want to make it really, really short. And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk to you about the budget now because I'm, we have nothing to hide in our budget. So whether you're a member or not, I don't mind talking about it in front of you. I, I don't have any intention of going into to detail because ultimately what we have done is uh, we've seen that our finances are not very good this year or last year. Our, our just our giving, our, our you know, receipts have been uh, way down. And so uh, myself and the elders and the deacons have all looked at the, the budget and we have sought to cut costs everywhere that we can. And it's really been quite tremendous, by the way, that, that we have uh, cut costs. I think of David Babb helping us figure out how to not be using so much gas in the, the gym and stuff. And so that was a big bill that we were able to cut there just by the, the new um, air and, and heat that we have in there, as well as switching over to a, you know, an electric stove. I think about things that instead of renewing our lease on the copier, we bought one and we will save thousands and thousands of dollars on, on that copier lease um, the, by the way, we've got the back building, the trailer back there that we were getting, you know, big quotes for having that trailer removed because it was an eyesore and a safety hazard. Uh, but our, our men uh, have gathered together, um, specifically Mike, Mike Sargent has, has really pushed hard uh, to, to keep that cost burden off of us. And so basically what, what we have for the budget is some things have gone up okay, that we can't help. Things like building insurance uh, and things like that have gone up just because the costs are going up uh, so quickly right now. Uh, But even with that, we have still found ways to um, shave money. And so our budget will be, here's just the number, $2,364 less than last year, (laughs) you know. And so again, that's that doesn't sound like much of a savings, but it really is uh, when you take into account the thousands of dollars more that other things are costing. And so I just want you all to be confident that, that your money, that you're giving, that you're investing in the Lord's work is being handled well. And that while we've always run very lean at this church, we're being creative in ways to run even more lean. And so that, that will be the, kind of the budget that it'll drop just a couple thousand dollars from last year, pretty much all, all these other things just stay the same. Um, and so what I do want to do is uh, members, if you're a member here, you're, you're allowed to, to vote. I would like to ask for a vote of affirmation on that uh, budget that's been set up by the elders and the deacons. And so if you affirm this, this new budget with just the savings of $2,300, you can raise your hand now. All right. Anyone opposed to this budget? And by the way, uh, there, there are no opposition there. Uh, if you do want to see the details, we can give those to you if you're a member here. Like we, we can give you the, the, all the numbers, but again, it's just kind of the same thing as it's been the past few years, just a little leaner cut here and there. But thank you for that. I, I do um, appreciate it. And, and I do, um, again, my wife and I were talking this morning about, uh, about our own giving and making sure that we're a part of the solution here um, and, and to do it with a worshipful heart. I'm excited about uh, being a part of helping this church to run. And so I encourage you in the same way to, to worship God with your finances. Um, I think that is everything that I have. I'm going to have Terry and Candy come up, and they are going to talk to you about uh, VBS before we get into worship. Well, good morning. We're here to plug Vacation Bible School. So, again, July 12th, 13th, and 14th, 6 o'clock. It'll be an evening VBS. 
and we're going to be talking to our kids about their identity in Christ. In a world where our identities are changing, we need that. So that's what our plug is, and so we're not going to be dancing or anything, right? No. Okay, good. Just you. Not, not me, <laughs> no, not this year. So anyway, uh, Katie and I will be sponsoring it or sort of coordinating it and sort of hosting it as well, but we've got, um, so anyway, just put that on your calendars for June 12th, 13th, and 14th. And Candy, if you want to, give all the details that we need. There's, we've got almost everything full. Thank you, parents. Um, we do need, I was hoping I could get a nur nursery workers from the body that don't have kids over here so that our mamas can be over there. You don't have to do all three nights, even if you could just do one night. Um, we've got a couple of little ones whose mamas are working, and so we need some nursery workers. Um, the VBS, the last night is going to be the same night as the cookout. That's intentional. Um, we didn't get a lot of advertising done this year, which we'll talk about next year. But the hope is any visitors will be like, hey, tonight, stay, have dinner with us. We're going to play back here. Just a, like an outreach opportunity. And so we're going to do the cookout just like we did last time. We'll have some sign-up sheets. Um, the Signing up was perfect. We had practically no waste. Um, be thinking about if you can grill. Um, Adam is going to need some help. He's going to kind of take care of things because Terry and I will be with the VBS group. If you can grill, we need grills, we need tents, same stuff, exactly the same. And so you'll see some sign-up sheets coming out for that. Oh, Sunday's training. Yeah, oh, we'll be doing yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, July the 9th, uh, if you are working in VBS, we are going to meet here in the sanctuary that evening at, did we say 5 o'clock? Is that right? 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. And just be very quick, you know, 30 minutes or so, we're going to um, just talk over a couple things. Dave has something to present for, for you guys, so not this Sunday, next Sunday evening at 5. I know some of you have small groups that night. It should be quick enough that y'all can leave here and go to your group or whatnot afterwards. All right, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and pray for our service. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for um, this day. Lord, we just thank you for a time to be together in worship. And we need it. We need to connect to you. And we need to see you. And we need to worship you for who you are in the light of who we are, Lord. We just pray um, that we would learn from your word, learn from worship today, Lord. Our, our covetousness heart is unsettled, and Lord, we pray that you would be the one to fill it up today. And Lord, I just pray all these things that we need. Uh, you know all of our needs, and Lord, we just come to you as, as humble people, Lord. I just pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Terry and Candy. Let's stand together and worship. Brother Jeff's message today is uh, the last of the commandments, thou shalt not covet. The best way not to covet is to be satisfied with God. So let's worship our great God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou
Hey. 
rejoice deeply in that this morning. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, my sin, oh, the prince of this glory. sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. thank you that you have brought us into relationship with yourself through the Lord Jesus. And we corporately, as your redeemed, give you our thanks and gratitude. Through Jesus, who is our Lord, who saved us by his shed blood and is our soon coming King. Amen. Please be seated. If you would, please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be in verse 17 in God's word today. Exodus 20, verse 17. This is the final of the Ten Commandments that the Lord has given to us. Exodus 20, 17, if you have not turned there. Uh, while you're still turning, I just want to remind you of something very important about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are meant to break you, not to make you feel good about yourself. The Ten Commandments are meant to crush your meager morality. They're meant to grind down to smithereens any remaining self-righteousness. That is one of the main purposes for which God gave the Ten Commandments. And that is because it is only when we have been crushed, broken, and ground that God can then take us and mold us and shape us into the people he wants us to be. Because it is only when we come to the end of ourselves that we fully give ourselves to God in dependence on him. That's what God is doing through the Ten Commandments. And we have looked at some tough commands so far. But I believe this one, this 10th commandment that we're about to study may be the most convicting and crushing. God puts a strong final word to these 10 commandments. And so let's pray 
that God would use these commands to have the proper effect on us. Let's pray right now. Father God, would you let us see today from your word how truly sinful and helpless we are apart from you. There is nothing good in us apart from you. There is nothing good that we can do or even desire apart from you. And so God, I pray that you would help us to understand that, but more than anything else, would you help us to desire you above all else? And from that, to live for your glory as you are so worthy of, God. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So the 10th and final, this most convicting, crushing commandment. We see it again in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You can follow along in your Bibles or up on the screen. This is what God says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That is God's word, the last of the Ten Commandments. Now, we, we, again, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but what has been very interesting for me as I've been studying these is uh, when I came to this Tenth Commandment, I, I said, okay, why did God give this command? Why, why how, how is it different from the others, and why is it the very last commandment that he gives in this 10. Here's what I, what I have seen and what I believe God is doing here. The first nine commandments were things that could be obeyed outwardly, or at least seem to be obeyed outwardly. And this would have been, again, to the Israelites who don't have the words of Jesus explaining the Ten Commandments. So please understand that. They are hearing these for the first time. They're taking them at face value. And so they could outwardly obey the first nine commandments and feel very good about themselves. They could say, okay, have no other gods before me. I won't bow down to any other gods. Don't, don't uh, make any graven images. Okay, I won't make a graven image of God. I'll observe, keep the Sabbath holy. I won't steal, kill, or lie. And, and, and I'm good. I, I can keep from doing those things outwardly. But here is what I want you to see about this 10th commandment, how it is different and why it is so important that we understand it and why I believe God saved it for the last one to give this final punch. Because while all these other nine commandments could at least seemingly be obeyed outwardly, this is number one in your notes, coveting happens in the heart. Coveting happens in the heart. This is not an outward uh, act that God is commanding against. He is talking about an inward desire and longing. God is not just concerned with your outward actions, your outward conformity to his law. He is concerned with the desires of your heart. I, I want to show you this uh, even from comparing the Ten Commandments. You have uh, there in Exodus twenty thirteen, you shall not commit adultery. So don't commit the act of adultery. That's the way the Israelites would have first heard this. But then we see God deepen that command uh, here. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So what that means is, it's not only must we abstain from actually committing adultery with our neighbor's wife, we should not even covet, deeply desire our neighbor's wife to commit adultery, even if we abstain outwardly. That's a very, very important distinction. Uh, we see it again. Uh, we could keep doing this, but these are just the most obvious ones. Exodus twenty fifteen, you shall not steal. So don't walk over to your neighbor's house and steal something. But then we see here, 
uh, in this 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So not only should you not go steal their possessions and try to make them your own, you should not even have a deep desire for your neighbor's possessions. This is upping the ante, you might say, to to an infinite degree. It's no longer, how can I white knuckle it and keep myself from doing the things that I really wanna do and then I'll be good. That's no longer the issue. Now it is, well, what do you really wanna do? You should not even want to do those things. You should not have these deep, overwhelming desires. And you say, what's the big deal about desiring, coveting? By the way, the word covet in, in Hebrew is the exact same word as, as desire. It, the context is the only thing that makes a difference for how it is translated. In Hebrew, you see the word covet. That is the same Hebrew word as desire. When you see desire, that's the same Hebrew word as covet. Um, it's the context that makes the difference. And so here we will understand a little bit more what makes it coveting. Because you say, what, what's the big deal about desiring something if I don't actually do it? Here is what Paul says in Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul has just said with zero nuance, covetousness is idolatry. So think about this. To have this overwhelming longing desire for these things, Paul is saying is idolatry. It would be no different than than saying, I'm going to worship the sun god. I'm going to worship the God of the Nile. These these are all things Israel would have come out of, um, you know, there in Egypt. It would be no different. It is bowing down to another God as greater than God or even in competition with God. And so I put it up there on the screen. To break the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, is actually to break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so no longer is it, oh, I won't just bow down outwardly, physically to some other God. Now it is, what are you really worshiping with your heart? What has your attention? What has your affections? You shall have no other gods before me. And that includes in your desires. You shall not covet these other things. I, I may mention as well, you know, he, he gives this list, don't covet your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife, their ox, their donkey, their, their male servant, female servant, or anything that's your neighbor's. L- later in the New Testament, we see those are just examples that God, those are just common examples that they would have struggled with. Um, but, but coveting can be anything. Later in Romans 7, 7 and 13, I want to say 9, Paul simply Uh, repeats this commandment and just stops at that word covet. You shall not covet. Boom, that's it. Don't covet, don't longingly desire anything, love anything more than God. This is what covetousness is. And by the way, desire in and of itself is not a bad thing because there are many good things that we can and should desire. We should desire, uh, you know, to, to, to be a good friend, to be a good family person. We, we can desire these things. It's not even wrong to desire, you know, good food or comfort or pleasure or any. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But the moment we desire them more than God, that is covetousness, which is idolatry. The moment it is competing with God for your affections, it is covetousness, which is idolatry. God, by the way, I just want to mention this because I I don't want us to miss this. God created this world, this beautiful, amazing world filled with pleasures, filled with beauty, filled with delights. He created all of that 
for your enjoyment of him. You are supposed to enjoy God through the sunset. You are supposed to enjoy God through sex. You're supposed to enjoy God through friendship. All of these are good gifts from God meant to point us to God. But the moment those things become in competition with God, that is covetousness, which is idolatry. I am not here telling us to just be Stoics and, and you know ascetics who just hate everything, make our lives miserable, like because that's what God wants for us. No, God created an amazing, beautiful, enjoyable world for you to enjoy Him through. But covetousness happens in our heart. We have these longings, these desires for things apart from God, and that is idolatry. That is breaking the first commandment by breaking the 10th commandment. But we, we say, okay, that's a bit ambiguous. That's a bit out there. Don't long for things with your heart more than you long for God. How can I know when I'm doing that? <laughs> my heart is deceitful, by the way. Um, my, my heart is new, thank, thanks be to God, but my flesh still lies to me. And my flesh still tells me, oh, you're good, Jeff. Don't worry about it. You're the best Christian ever, Jeff. No, my flesh doesn't actually say that. Um, but, you know, like my, my flesh lies to me. So how can you and I know when we are coveting, when this non-outward thing is happening in our hearts? How can we do that? And so I just want to give you some tips. Some of these are going to be more obvious than others, I admit. Um, but these should be helpful for us to recognize when covetousness is happening in our hearts. And so the first one I will give you is this. When you choose to sin, you say, well, that's outward. Yes, I know. But the outward sin shows that there was inward covetousness happening. Do you remember how I said the Hebrew word for desire and covet is exactly the same? Same word, same Hebrew word. <clears throat> With that understanding, let's read Genesis 3, 6. This is the fall of mankind into sin. The very first sin committed. Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan is tempting them. Satan has lied to Eve. And then uh, we see here, verse 3, 6. So when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. God commanded them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But she desired it. She coveted it. She coveted the, the, how delicious the fruit might be. She coveted that it would make her wise. Satan said, he knows that you will be like him. You will be like God. And so she coveted what the fruit had to offer her more then she desired obedience and continued relationship with God. That is what happened in the garden. And so, this is no, no pun intended, eating the fruit was simply the fruit of inward root problem of covetousness. She was already breaking the 10th commandment before she took of the fruit and ate. And so I want you to understand it's, it's the same for us as well, always. You never sin against your desires. I have never sinned against what I wanted to do. Ah, I have deeper desires, but I've never <laughs> sinned against what my most surface prevailing desire was. I've always, when I, anytime I've told a lie, it has been because I desired for someone to think well of me or to protect myself. When I've, when I've sought some pleasure that I should not, it's because I wanted pleasure when I have remained lazy, when I have disobeyed God's command to share the good news of the gospel. It is because I have, it is because I've desired comfort and safety and, and a semblance of peace more than I desired obedience to God. And you could insert any outward sin into that. There is a desire, a covetousness that is propelling you to then do that outward sin. So just know it. Anytime you commit an outward sin, there is an inward heart covetousness going on. You, you can't just say, oh, well, my body just did it on its own. No, your heart was driving your body. 
And so there was a heart issue. Okay, we got that one. Outward sin is produced by inward covetousness. The second one is this. You are quarrelsome. Are you irritable, easily annoyed? James 4, 1 to 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. When you are easily agitated, willing to pour out wrath on another person or, or even just to, to tear them down or, or just engage in these sort of fights rather than seeking peace, what is going on is you feel, you believe that person is keeping you from something that you are desiring, something you're coveting. It says there, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, I'll just kind of give you an example of this. Um, I, I think uh, with, with my wife, and it's, it's all my fault, so I just want to say that <laughs> straight up. Um, so times that she says something to me that makes me feel less worthy, you know, uh, that I feel belittled or, or something like that, she's not showing me the respect that I covet. I want to be thought highly of. I, I, my, my flesh longs for that. And so in my house, the fights that occur are almost always when she says or does something that makes me feel little. She didn't feed my flesh. And so I then start to say my cutting remarks at her. And then, you know, maybe we go back and forth for a while and you're quarrelsome. Well, what does that mean? You are coveting something. That person is keeping you from comfort or, or ease when you get home from work or uh, whatever. Um, that person is keeping you from something. So you fight. It reveals covetousness in your heart. If you are a quarrelsome, easily agitated, short-fused person, you have covetousness that needs to be dealt with. Here's, here's the next one we have. You are discontent. <clears throat> Hebrews 3, 3, sorry, 13, 5 says, Be content with what you have, for he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you, do you understand the logic of that verse? You, Christian, should be content with what you have, whatever you may have. Why? Because you have God. Ultimately, Discontentment says God is not enough. I know we talked about this a few sermons ago, but it bears repeating because it's the very heart of, of, of covetousness is saying, God is not enough. Therefore, I long for something else to fill that void. Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, by the way, catch myself being discontent pretty often. I didn't mean for this sermon to become a confessional, um, <laughs> but, but I, th I think about it, like all the things that I, I long for, you know, like my, my family and I, we've moved around a bunch of times because real estate's what we do. And so I'm like, I just long to have this house be done. I, the walls painted, this, all the sinks and toilets working, the showers, like, is that so much to ask? And I, I long for this future day when I'll finally be able to be happy. I think about this with preaching. I want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better pastor. And I long for this day when I'll finally just nail it. Then I'll be happy. Miss Wendy, I want to be better at piano. <laughs> She's my piano teacher. Uh, I was telling Hallie last night, I just want to snap my fingers and be better at this. She's so patiently teaching me. I, there will be this day when I'll just sit down and the music will flow from my fingers. And then I'll be happy. But think about this, it's, it's, there's so many things in our lives. If I just had a bigger bank account, if I just had a better marriage, if I just had more behaved children, if I just had this car, if I just had better looks, if I just had better health. By the way, none of those things are, are, are inherently bad. If, if you 
have a bad marriage, if you have disobedient children, by all means, pursue better. (laughs) I encourage that highly. But when you cannot be happy until those things happen, it shows that you are not finding your joy in God. And that is showing he is not enough. So you covet those things. I can't have peace. I can't have joy until this happens. That is covetousness, which is idolatry. Discontentment is covetousness. Finally, one I want to give you, you spend almost no time with God. I believe very sincerely that covetousness is happening in your heart desires for other things more than desires for God is happening in your heart if you spend almost no time with God. I get that we have busy lives. I get that we can't all be monks and just sit there and read the Bible and pray all day. I get that. But if you spend almost no time with God, what does that reveal? I mean, God says there, draw near to God, or sorry, uh, James says rather, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is spend time with God and he will draw near to you. He will come close. You will feel his presence. You will find satisfaction in him. But if we spend almost no time with him, we say, you know, I could spend time with God with what limited time I have. Again, I I know we don't all have free schedules. I could spend time with God, but I'd rather this. I'd rather get more of my to-do list checked off. I would rather spend time watching TV than spend time with God. I would rather do this hobby. I'd rather sports. I'd rather, whatever it is, something has competed for your limited amount of free time. And if you spend almost no time with God, that other thing is winning. You are longing for something more than you long for for God. And, and so again, this command does not make us to, to, to make us feel good about ourselves. It is meant to crush us. Because I see all of these things in my life. I have outward sins. That means I have inward covetous going on. I, I, I'm quarrelsome, as I told you. I, I uh, am discontent. I, I don't spend the time with God that I could, which means I I'm committing idolatry through my covetousness, my longing for things over God. There is a a competition, a war between the desires for God and the desires for things other than God. And those other things are winning in those moments. That is covetousness. Now, I know that's pretty bleak, uh, but it's actually going to get worse before it gets better in the way that I want to show this to you. Number two... You cannot help but covet. We we hear this 10th commandment. We say, okay, I will simply stop coveting. (laughs) I'm just going to stop desiring things, desiring other things more than I desire God. But what we need to understand that that really needs to, to crush us and break us and grind us down is alone, you cannot help but covet, no matter how hard you try. Romans uh, 7, Paul actually found this to be an issue in his own life. I I believe this was, he's talking about uh, pre his conversion, before his conversion. But he says in verse 7 there, Romans 7, 7, if it had not been, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. What's Paul talking about? Think about Paul. Remember previously known as Saul, a very good Hebrew. I mean, Paul literally calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. 
Paul was a rule keeper. He was the one who, at the end of Hebrew grammar lessons, said, Teacher, you didn't ask for our homework. I mean, no one, they, that's how he was. He was just Mr. We're going to follow the, the letter of the law every time. That was Paul. And then he comes to this 10th commandment. He says, do not covet. I, even my desires matter. Again, same Hebrew word. So he would have just been reading, do not desire. And he says, oh, I've been doing all these outward things and, and so he says, okay, I need to stop coveting. And so he tries to stop coveting, but actually through the command not to covet, it made him covet more. I'm not sure exactly how this works out, but it seems like he desired to keep the law to not covet so much that he actually desired to keep the law and to not covet more than he desired God. He desired not to covet, to love anything more than God, more than he loved God. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of the way this works. It's kind of like humility, by the way. The more you think about humility, I'm going to be a humble person, the more proud you become. <laughs> you might put on an outward air of humility, but really you're growing the deeper roots of pride into your life. And that's how covetousness is. If you alone seek to, to uproot this sin, you will only find yourself deeper in the hole. I won't love or desire anything more than God. And you actually find yourself desiring keeping the commandments of God more than desiring God himself. But this is the nature of every human. It's not like Paul was some weird guy. Like th this is all of us. Romans uh, 8, 7 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, that's just us in our flesh alone, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot, cannot, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so, again, I just want to rob us of all vestiges of self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, can-do attitude. Because you can't, and I can't either, without God's help. Without looking intentionally to Him, we cannot do it. But the beautiful thing is Christ in his sin-bearing death, in his victorious resurrection, has made real victory over this sin possible. I love that. I love that I can no, not be run by my selfish desires, but by the love of God. I, I love that I cannot always be doing things, but not really what I want to do. Do you get that? My, I, I, okay, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. I didn't lie, but I wanted to. What kind of a life is that? Always doing what you don't want to do. It is amazing. It's a wonderful thing that our desires can change. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Other translations, by the way, say compels us, motivates us. It's, they're all good words there. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Our old man, our old sin nature has died in Christ, in his death on that cross. And it goes on to say, verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died not only to pay for your sins, the punishment you deserve, but to break the power of sin in your practical life. Rather than being motivated by selfish desire, like Paul was back in Romans 7, covetousness, is, it was a selfish reason that he wanted to obey the law. Rather than being motivated by that, you can be motivated, compelled by the love of Christ. That we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised. I love this. Through Jesus, he truly has purchased the practical ability to kill covetousness in your life. To truly obey God outwardly, yes, 
but also obey God inwardly in the heart to love, to desire him more than anything else this world has to offer. And again, I wanna say to enjoy this world as an expression of our enjoyment of God or to enjoy God through enjoying this, however you wanna put that. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So how can we do that? How, how practically can that happen? It happened, it was purchased on the cross. The, the work was started uh, at regeneration, okay? You received a new heart, a new mind he has put within you, but we still struggle with the flesh, right? I, I know I, I've, I've been telling you, I, I still struggle with these things. I still struggle with covetousness, which is idolatry. So practically, how can I grow in this area? This is number three. Put covetous, covetousness to death by pursuing delight in God. Put covetousness to death by pursuing delight in God. Remember, if all you try to do is get rid of covetousness, it will only change forms. It will only grow. It will only seek, sink its roots, roots in deeper into your heart. We must pursue God to do the work. And since it is our desires that we are dealing with, do not desire, do not covet. It is only by delighting in God that our affections, our desires for other things can begin to lessen. It will not happen in any other way. We do this kind of uh, with my kids. <clears throat> I just want to help you think about this in a practical way. Um, so especially with a younger kid, you can do this, but they might have a toy that the other one wants, okay? They, they've got this doll. And so one of my kids might say, oh, I really want that doll. I really want that doll. And so what we've taught them to do is, well, trade them something. Trade them something that they will actually like more and they will let go of it. They will loosen their grip. They will hand it over. And so that's what they do. Like that one, one child will go find something that they really think that that child will love, that will excite their heart enough to let go of that doll. And that's what we need to do in our hearts. So what, what we want God to do in our hearts is for there to be something that is so much greater that takes our attention and our affections that we're willing to let go of that covetousness, that we no longer say, I want that, so I'm gonna sin to get it. I'm gonna quarrel when I don't get it. I'm gonna be discontent until I get it, or I'm going to choose it over God. That God becomes such a treasure, everything else becomes dim and inglorious in comparison. This is what we need to do, is find such delight in God that these things grow strangely dim as the, the, the old hymn puts it. So here, here's again how we can think about this. You have these, you, you say, okay, I know the signs of covetousness in my life. And there may be more. These are just the ones I could come up with, with that had verses, you know, that I could show it from God's word. You choose to sin. So anytime you sin, just know your heart is coveting something. And you should ask that question, why did I sin? Why did I pour out hatred on that person? Why did I lie? Why did I cheat? Why did I steal? Why did I look at those images I should not look at? Why did I, why was, why was I all, and what you are doing is you can trace that and see what it is you, come, you, you coveted. Okay, I, I coveted pleasure. I coveted pleasure. I coveted possessions. Believing those things would make me happy. But you can do that with all of these. Why did I fight? And I told you an example with my wife, like, okay, I felt belittled, I felt small. And so boom, Coral, I'm gonna fight back because she has kept me from something that I sinfully desire. And so you can do the same thing. Why do you fight? Why do you get irritated with people? Why, you know, what's going on? What is it that, that you believe they're keeping you from? You can find what you are coveting. Discontentment, what do you believe that thing will do for you? You know, that, that finished house, the, the better bank account, what do you believe it will do for you that God cannot? And then you have, you spend almost no time with God. Well, what, what is it that you are spending your time doing and why are you pursuing that over God? You can say, okay, entertainment, again, pleasure, uh, just wh whatever it may be, comfort, leisure over God. Okay, 
you've, you've now found what you covet, but that's not enough. You can't just stare at the thing you covet. Now you have to take that to God and say, God, right now, possessions, money, have a hold on my heart. Right now, I see by my life, God, that, that pleasure, that comfort, that ease has a hold on my heart, that I desire it more than I desire you. God, would you help me? Would you help me to desire you, to delight in you more than I delight in those other things, more than I delight in pleasure, comfort, ease, possessions, money, whatever. That is what we do. And then what do we do? We go to God's word. We go to prayer. We fellowship with one another and encourage one another in the glories of God. And we go looking to see the glory of God, not to check a box. We go looking in God's word to say, you say that you can satisfy my heart. I want to see how you do that. I want to experience that. I want to know you. I want to uh, relate to you. I want, I, want, I want you. When you go to God in that way, again, what you will see happen is your delight in God will increase as your desire for other things decreases. This is the way it works but you have to look to God for it. You look to Christ Jesus, the one who pays for your covetousness and all your other idolatrous sins. You look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross rather than coveting the easy way out. You look at his example. Then you, you trust in his spirit, right? His power in me. I need your power. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. I need your power. Then I need the Bible. I need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the promises of God. I need those to be better. The pleasures of God. I need those to be better to cut down my covetousness. And before you know it, by God's grace, by God's power, your heart is full with God. Desire, delight in satisfaction in God. Psalm 37.4, I, I may have used this verse last week, but it still applies. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the, the desires of your heart. Of your heart, not of your flesh. You may not get every pleasure you desire. You may not get every comfort and ease you desire. You may not become prestigious and powerful like you desire, but those are the desires of your flesh, not the desires of your new heart that God has put within you. When you delight yourself in the Lord, oh, your, your heart, this new fleshly heart, fleshy heart that God has given you becomes satisfied. He gives you the desires of your heart. This is good. And, and by the way, I wanna point this back to God and his glory and the great commission, the master's mission those who are glad in God are the ones who most glorify God. <laughs> Those who delight in God more than the things of this world are the ones who make a difference in this world for God's glory. They, we are the, the ones who delight in God. If you'll join me in doing this, we will be the ones who cannot help but share the gospel. We'll be the ones who forsake sin because we love God more and we show the greatness of God just in every way of our lives. Those who are glad in God glorify God. This is what we want. To be delighted in God, the most satisfying possible thing in the universe, and to bring him glory. This is what we get to do. And I want to leave you with this verse before we pray. It's just so good. Listen even to the tone Jesus says this. I have it highlighted in my notes, not in yours uh, on the screen. John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That is the offer God gives us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for loving us enough to crush us our self-righteousness, our self-satisfaction, our self-sufficiency. Thank you for crushing those things that can never make us right before you and that can never please you. Thank you.